Welcome back to Keeping It Current. It's an absolute pleasure to be back for the second part of this election mini-series. This week we're talking about the key policies and the key battles in this election. We're also joined by this, a special guest this week, as, as always, you know. Uh, that is the Liberal Democrat candidate for Penrith in the border, Matt Seven. And also Jacob Reed is, done, is back with some tip-top, top-notch political analysis. I am indeed. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Thomas. So let's get cracking and start talking about the key policies of each of the parties. So the main policy of the Conservatives this time round is really that um, get Brexit done, isn't it, Jacob? Because you see, uh, it's all really Boris Johnson's got. He's got it on the bus again. He's got it on these little, like... The speaking plinth, you know, he's got yeah. it everywhere. I, I saw a, um, a Conservative Party post on Instagram with a picture of a ready meal, the Boris Brexit ready meal, and it said just <laughs> put in a microwave and Brexit's yeah. done. You know, he, he comes out and says, this, I, I'm going to try to do my Boris Prosperous and go like, this uh, Brexit is a, an, an oven ready uh, meal, ready to put in the microwave so that's a bit stupid when we say another ready meal to go in the microwave but uh, yeah so boris is a bit obviously he's like talking about brexit all the time and do you think he's neglecting the other issues in this election well he would argue he isn't what what the conservative line of argument is is that once we've got brexit done in their words um put it to a side moved on we can then focus on uh, focus on the NHS, focus on schools, focus on the police. And they would argue as well that all of this, quote, different delay is what's really hurting the economy. Not the prospect of Brexit, but the uncertainty which is holding off business investment. So their argument is get Brexit done, and then we can focus on these other issues. But certainly, I remember watching um, the, the debate between Corbyn and Johnson. By the end, people, people were laughing I, I don't know whether they're laughing at him or with him, um, but they, um, he, he, he just stressed it so much, um, this whole bre- get Brexit done, it's, it's, I mean it's snappy is it not, get Brexit done, people remember it's a bit it. of a tagline, you know. I, in fairness, I don't remember what the Labour tagline is this time. It, is is it not for the many, not the few, not for the many? Well I don't think I mean, it not is for the few. Okay. I think they've changed it. I'll, like only um a fair Britain for the many or, or something, but it just get Brexit done. Simple. I'm not sure an English teacher would particularly approve of the grammar. I feel like get Brexit get done. Brexit done. Hmm. No. And I mean, so to, to get Brexit finished. <laughs> okay. So to to talk about it though, one thing that the Conservatives have that Labour does not have is they have a deal already. And you can't doubt it, Boris went, got a deal and mm-hmm. has endorsed... You know, that is one thing about the Labour Party this time. There's going to be... are going to have a second referendum, but then, you know, like, Jeremy Carr is not saying whether we back the deal that he would negotiate with the EU or whether we back Remain, which is, I think, why the electorate uh, treating Jeremy Carr with such, like... Well, I wouldn't be, like, quite vicious towards him, I would say, because um, he's been very, very... Um, I don't know what to say, just indecisive, hasn't he? Well, I think certainly 
Because I, I certainly know a lot of people who speculate that Jeremy Corbyn is a Brexiteer secretly. Yeah, well, I mean... I don't think he's that big a fan of the European Certainly those on the far left um, have qualms with the European Union, as do those on the far right. And um, there's a school of thought which says that if Jeremy Corbyn had campaigned wholeheartedly to remain in the 2016 referendum, then we wouldn't have voted to leave. I, I remember reading that there was going to be a press event with the last five leaders of the Labour Party all standing there saying, we believe we should remain. And you can imagine that would send a very strong message to, to Labour voters. But Corbyn refused to appear on the same stage <laughs> as Blair and Brown. Was that... Is it Ed Miliband there as well? I think it's a refused with Ed Miliband. And, um, it, I mean, it was that for other I reasons. I think it kind of outlines the Jeremy Corbyn Labour. He's trying to make it a distinct Labour to the more centrist <coughs> Labour that those leaders had. Certainly. I mean, in, in terms of the accusation that he's been indecisive, on one hand, you can absolutely appreciate it. Um, Boris would pass his deal. That, that, that's what he would do. Not, there's not a mention of a future relationship, which would those negotiations would surely be long and drawn out. Um, but the alternative to, to passing the deal, perhaps before the year's out, is this renegotiation, putting it to people, which certainly seems more drawn out. Now, that policy has, let's say politely, it's evolved since the referendum. Notice that the, uh, the press never call it a U-turn. Is it, is it a U-turn going eventually to support a second yeah. referendum? Yeah. Um, who knows? As opposed to leaving all so, things off. another thing about the Conservatives, they're coming up big policy about the NHS, one of them was 50,000 nurses. And uh, so, and then they said they've already got 5,000 of them, which we're uh, not very, you know... What, what do we think of that, Jacob, when they say they want 50,000 new nurses, but then they've said, they kind of come out and said that there's already been 5,000 of them? I think... Um, I think it's very easy to manipulate statistics, is it not, to um, suit what you want. There's a similar... Thing with hospitals, wasn't it? 40 new hospitals, and they're saying actually, no, and a couple of reconfigurations. Um, you got to, you got to, be and also on to the subject of they're saying about the future trade relationship with the USA potentially, which obviously Mr. Trump's been over in the UK this week uh, talking at the NATO summit, summit and uh, basically he said he's going to have no input in the general election. He said he would work with any Prime Minister, but I'm not sure whether that's true. Uh, also, you know, they talk about the NHS potentially being privatised, because obviously the Conservatives are really, you think they've been trying to do this for years, really, because there was talk in the uh, David Cameron campaign of 2015 that they were going to try and privatise the NHS, wasn't they? I mean, I... Some would argue that it's scaremongering and a red herring. Other would argue that this is the most pivotal issue of the election. I think certainly the Tories would never come out and say we want to privatise the NHS because that would be electoral suicide. Yeah. It's possible that they would um, want to privatise certain parts. And I don't know if you can make an argument in favour of that um, in terms of certainly outs outsourcing certain operations but having them still provided by the NHS for free um, if that can increase the amount of mm -hmm. operations available if that can reduce wait times and certainly you could say it's a good thing I think the, the interesting thing to ask Thomas is yeah. that a lot of this will come down to trust do you trust Boris Johnson what he say do you trust Jeremy Corbyn and what he say but um 
you would normally at this point judge a party, judge its leader yes. on their record of the last, in this case, nine years in government. But frankly, the uh, Cameron Osborne government coalition of 2010, yeah. vastly different to the May government of 2017, vastly different to the Johnson government now. So is it fair to judge Boris on the Conservatives' track record when he was only in Parliament in, was it, 2015? Yes, of that, course. I, mean, yeah. I, I don't know, but that's an interesting question. Yes, yeah, well, you know, <coughs> go talk about the Tories. I think it's Dominic Raab's came out this week saying that we will not sell the NHS, but I think, I can't remember, somebody said to said to me the other day about something about Dominic Raab wanting to <laughs> sell off the privatised health service, saying previously he wanted to privatise, his aim was to privatise the health service. Uh, what do you think about that, Jacob? Um, I think, what, what I'll say is that um, post-war, from 1945 to about the 1970s, there was a post-war consensus. Keynesian economics, um, you know, full employment, investment in public services, mixed economy, and um, the, you know, the welfare state. That was broken initially with Heath and Selsden Man, and then with Thatcher, absolutely tore up the post-war consensus, in fact, blamed it for the country's problems. Um, and you could certainly say, with the large kind of left-right divide of Corbyn Johnson, we, we, you could argue we don't have much of a consensus, apart from between the, between the two parties, there's a consensus about pursuing Brexit, there's a consensus about increasing mm-hmm. investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing that has been steadfast since the war is to maintain the image. Yes, yes. And it would be, to my mind, it's unthinkable that either of the parties would would, would publicly try and break them. Yes, well, but I, I think I saw figures, you know, it's about increasing spending. I saw figures about saying that the Conservative manifesto is 3 billion, but then the Labour manifesto is 80 billion. So let's come on to talk about the Labour manifesto. And one of the main policies is the free broadband for all, Jacob. But I, I think, how is that going to work? Um, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll tell you that they've got a plan. If this is... What? Maybe you have to give your whole wages back to... All your wages back to the state. <laughs> well, I mean, what interests me is that um, it seems counterintuitive that Jeremy Corbyn is so hell-bent on pursuing these millionaires, the few who aren't paying their fair share, who can afford to pay more, um, in, in his words... Um, but then he's got to give them free broadband. Yeah. That seems like a contradiction. But give them free ba- broadband for all, so you know. Mm. But th- then that goes with full and ready, not the few, doesn't it? Well, I mean, because the interesting thing is, there's a strong argument. Certainly, um, this is the argument being made by people like um, Bernie Sanders in America in terms of free tuition for all, and of course Corbyn yeah. is promising free tuition for all, is that these universal programmes are actually better than more selective, perhaps means-tested programmes. Because they they include everyone, they're simpler. Um, And and, and again, that's a dividing line of selection. And let's go over to Liberal Democrats now, because they have come up with uh, some of the, I think, the youth vote-pulling policies of the election, especially legalising cannabis. (laughs) So, you know... um, do you think the Liberal Democrats will get a strong... I think we maybe talked about this in the, the first episode of the election mini-series, but I think the Liberal Democrats might get a strong youth vote, but then the electorate seems to be taking a bad uh, response to Joe Swinson as every time she gets seen on TV, the Liberal Democrats seem to go a point down in the polls. <laughs> well, um, 
Uh, there's a couple of points to draw from that. First of all, about policies which can attract young people. Um, the Lib Dems have said nothing about scrapping tuition fees, perhaps because of that infamous 2010 pledge that they would scrap them and then under a coalition ended up raising them. Um, but you would, you know, they are proposing legalising marijuana, they are proposing lowering the voting age. Um, but what I would suggest is that it seems, especially from 2017, that these policies which appeal to young people are only effective in appealing to young people who vote, tipping the balance of young people who vote, not in drawing extra young people to vote. In 2017, people thought Corbyn, with his free, free tuition fees, had really nailed the youth vote. And in fact, there was a suggestion that the youth vote is why Corbyn, Corbyn got enough seats to stop a conservative majority. Yes. One of the big dictionaries said youth quake was the word of the year. But then I think only 54%, 50-something yeah, percent of the 18 to 25-year-olds don't know. Exactly. So, um, I mean, imagine if that was 100%. <laughs> no? um, but then in terms of, um, in terms of Joe Swinston, it certainly there's been a change in tone of the Lib Dem campaign. They started saying, I am your candidate for, your Liberal Democrat candidate for Prime Minister. Um, they were talking about getting a few hundred seats at the party conference not so long ago. Um, and then they really shifted focus to talking about... Stopping, stopping uh, Boris Johnson majority government. Exactly. And in that recent YouGov poll, they were predicted only on 13 seats. But then that's the disparity of first past the first when they say they've got about 13 to 15% of the vote, depending on which poll you look at. And then they're only getting like a, a cheaper percent of the vote. Exactly. This is the thing. They need that concentrated support. And which I think... Why, that's why we said in the last episode why they're wanting to get it shifted to the ninth yeah, so before, so before um, the universities break up uh, so as well let's talk about the Brexit party Nigel Farage's contract of promises it's not such a manifesto it's a contract of promises what, what do you think of that word that he's used to describe it um, I mean it's interesting I think um, I think he makes a very fair point that trust in political parties is not high and if you would ask the average Joe in the street, do you think politicians lie? Probably they would say yes. Um, a simple rebrand to a contract, is that going to do anything? I don't think so. I don't think when so, no. the Brexit party talk about changing politics for good, um, I, I mean, what, they want to abolish the House of Lords and they would... And they but would then uh, there's been claims that Nigel Farage has been offered a peerage by the Conservatives the, after the, stepping down in the Conservative held seats. There were, and, and I mean, that shows that to all intents and purposes, um, I mean, the Brexit party could end up in a coalition or in some sort of sub supply and demand... Confidence um, and supply. Confidence and supply, that's it, sorry. Yeah. Uh, with, with the Conservatives. And in which case they would need a range of policies to be able to negotiate on. But effectively, it would not be a stretch of the imagination to say that the Brexit group is but a pressure group. Mm -hmm. Now, they, are seek they, they, they say that they are seeking elected office. Certainly, they sought it for the, the European, European elections, elections, yes. But many would argue that their prime focus is to put pressure on the real movers and makers in politics and the Conservative Party to get Brexit done. I think Nigel Farage himself would admit that. Okay, now it's time to talk about the key battles of this election. 
So there are going to be many key battles in this election, particularly in Labour heartlands, which voted overwhelmingly for Brexit. And um, this has been showing that recent YouGov poll, which we've talked about, and the fact that in Workington, uh, Sue Heyman, who's a member of the Shadow Cabinet, is in danger of losing a seat to the Conservatives. But then I've heard that people are saying that it's about 40% each, so it's still a small margin of error. So do you think that this, um, these key battles, particularly in Workington, are uh, going to be what is the difference between there being a hung parliament and the Conservatives getting a majority? Certainly. I mean, um, I, again, going back to, to say that statistics can show you uh, show what you want them to show. But in, uh, in 2017, if you looked at the most marginal seats that the Conservatives lost, it, they would have needed such a small swing to uh, have one of those seats and then two have won the election. Um, now, the, 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 how likely it is that they would just get those extra votes and those extra seats, it's not. But, <coughs> sorry, it, oh, does, it does show that, you know, anything could happen. Yeah, as well, um, one of the recent Ugal polls, which is fascinating to me, was in Eshin Walton, which is Dominic Rao's constituency, and uh, which voted to remain in 2016, and obviously Dominic Rao suddenly pushes for like, push for like a more, a very hard Brexit, hard Brexit and he, and so basically it said the Conservatives and Dominic Rao are on 46%, they, they had a, I think they had a 23% lead last time, and now that's just down to 5% in the recent polls, with the Lib Dems polling at 41%. So, could this provide, as people are saying, like, from a few elections ago, the Portillo moment? I mean, um, certainly it would be a big moment, because uh, Foreign Secretary Rab, that's one of the great officers of state, that is it, that would be a great, uh, a, a great victory. Um, it, I mean, it's interesting to ask, if you are being represented by a high-profile MP, be them a cabinet member, a shadow cabinet member... Or um, even the Prime Minister. Or even the Prime Minister. Um, does that make it more or less likely that you'll vote for them? Because on one hand, even if you don't quite agree with them, to be represented by someone powerful, to see them often in the news doing stuff, and yeah. to think that maybe they will bear you in mind when they are making the decisions which they have to make... Um, that, that, that can be a draw to vote for them. Equally, if, uh, if, if you see them more and more in the press and dislike them more and more as you see them, you see like it as, as an opportunity to send a message. But also, um, I was watching the BBC News last the other night and there were several different threats to um, uh, high-profile MPs. One of them was Ian Duncan Smith, or... IDS, or as I like to call him, IBS. <laughs> um, he was um, very, um, let's just say, I think that's quite offensive to people with IBS, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, I think it's Chink, Chinkford and Woodvale or something, like that, I can't remember exactly, but he is uh, currently behind in his seat to, I think, the Labour Party, and uh, it's going to be a very interesting night for Ian Duncan Smith. Him again being an ardent Brexiteer in a Remain constituency around London. And do you think like these that the fact that these Tory people, Tory Conservative MPs, because I know uh, there's been a lot of um, a lot of uh, arguments from the Conservative members that there's been Remain MPs uh, representing Leave constituencies, but it does work the other way around, doesn't it? 
Certainly it does, and I mean, the response to that would be that if you are representing a Remain constituency, perhaps that Remain contingent within the constituency um, accepts the results of a referendum nationally. That's what they would argue. Um, but, but, I mean, it, it's where do you draw the line? In Scotland, if you're representing a Remain constituency and you know that your country, Scotland, voted to Remain, yeah. then that's surely a lot easier to, to, to campaign for Remain. And I, there's even whispers of Boris Johnson being getting quite a slim majority in this election. Uh, well, not in Parliament, I mean, as in his seat, Uxbridge uh, and South Ruslet, which um, I've heard that there's... Um, there's like a univ- an ex uh, a Muslim coming to stand against him, and obviously many good good reasons to stand against Boris. Do you think? Do you think it could there could be a slim possibility of Boris Johnson losing his seat? I mean, you never know what will happen. I would. Suggest- no, you never know, especially because on that night in twenty sixteen, we thought it was going to be Remain, but exactly. Um, I mean, I would suggest that these sorts of stories are kind of used by the other political parties, bigged up to kind of motivate grassroots supporters. But really, you do never know. And it'll be, uh, I'll be enjoying watching the results come in during the all-nighter that I'm planning to pull this time next week. I know last, <laughs> last time, in 2017, I tried to... You, you, f- you fell asleep. I fell asleep just Nick for two Clegg. hours. But when I woke up, exactly, Nick Clegg had lost his seat. I was... Gutted to have missed that um, that moment. So uh, thank you very much, Jacob, for some tip-top, top-notch analysis. And now it's time for this week's special guest interview with the Liberal Democrat candidate for Penrith in the Border, Matt Seven. So please welcome this week's special guest, the Liberal Democrat candidate for Penrith in the Border, Matt Seven. I do. Uh, hello, Thomas. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm very glad to be here, my friend. Uh, so how did you found out, find out that you'd been selected? Okay, so um, with the Liberal Democrats, it's totally open. So it's not controlled by like the Liberal Democrat HQ. Um, you know, Joe Swinson doesn't have a list. She's not trying to sneak people in. And like that. It's totally up to the members in each... Um, in each constituency. So there's 650 constituencies in the country. As you know, Liberal Democrats, we can test 632 of them. Uh, and so each one of those seats has a right to pick who they want. So you have to go through a process. So about five years ago, I went through a process where I was um, assessed during the day by some yeah. party kind of officials, all volunteers who uh, kind of do that thing across the Northwest. And they decided that I was kind of cleared the stand yeah, yes. and then it's I'm allowed to apply for anywhere I want so yeah. um, obviously living in Cumbria as I do um, Tim Farron's got Westman and Lonsdale locked down pretty well <laughs> so I'm not going to apply for that one yeah. uh, but Penrith and the border is you know a natural step it's you know yeah. it's very very close to where I am and yeah. you know, where I've lived for a long time so it's not like you're not having to go like about hundred miles exactly, away. Exactly, yeah. Well, that's something that the Lib Dems generally don't really go for. So, basically, uh, I just put my name down, uh, and, um, yeah, on, on, it was, it's a free vote, so yeah. every, you have to be a party member to vote. I only cost you 12 quid to join, uh, and all party members get a vote, and all votes are equal. So, again, in some other parties, one person can, because they're, say, a union delegate, can sometimes have a lot of extra votes. That doesn't happen in the Dems. Yeah. It's one person, one vote, and uh, I was very, very fortunate, very honoured uh, to be selected by the good members of Pyramid from the Border to be their guy yeah. um, that was in early September and we weren't quite sure if the election was going to be in October mm-hmm. um, or if it was going to be in 2022 and mm-hmm. as it is it's fallen uh, just before Christmas yes uh, December yeah so uh, what will you offer 
the local area if you win? Well, that's a great question. Um, but I think, firstly, in terms of approach, uh, I'd want to keep. Uh, I want to be able to. Comes like a people-led approach. I don't really believe that ideology should yes. govern yeah. uh, what we do uh, locally. I think that uh, the best thing that government can do is to help people to live their own yeah. lives and live in the best way possible, <laughs> so that governments can help people. Um, you know, achieve their full potential, help their kids achieve their full potential, yes. uh, make sure that things like healthcare, mental healthcare, social care for elderly parents or grandparents, those sort of things don't drag people down, don't yeah. weigh people down. Mm-hmm. If we can just free those burdens of stress by saying, don't worry, we'll help you pay for this, don't worry, this is going to be good quality transport mm-hmm. for you to get to yes. and from, where, all those yes. things, it allows people to focus on the things that they do best, which is being themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's the kind of approach that I would take. Yeah. And I think that's distinct from you know don't particularly want to slag off the other parties too much but distinct from the approach the other yes, parties are taking yeah. so um, both Labour and the Conservatives now are very very ideological parties so I mean I'm, I'm 33 so I'm not that old but uh, I, I, I'm kind yeah. of a bit, uh, I'm a bit older in politics years because I've been doing it yes. for a while and yeah. I remember when I was uh, your age Thomas uh, the complaint was that Labour and the Tories were very much the same and they weren't yeah, very in, ideological in the Tony Blair, yeah yes. that's right and we always yeah. used to yeah. complain when I, you know oh, it's really boring wouldn't it be great if uh, if yeah. they were more extreme well it turns out no that, that is terrible because the more extreme they are the more ideological they get so when I say ideolo- ideological what I mean is that in, instead of listening to what people want and yeah. thinking how they can help it yeah. they are putting uh, uh, their idea of what people want ahead of what people actually want so the, the, the Tories have decided everyone wants Brexit now there's millions of people out there who don't want Brexit because they voted Remain yes. there's, mil- there's people who voted Leave but have changed their mind there's people who never got a chance to vote on it like yeah. by yourself and, and your students no one's asking you guys what you want yeah. you know um, and uh, you know, but the Tories have decided that absolutely everyone wants Brexit and they've drowned out all the voices of all the people including in their own party um, who, who don't want it or who want yeah. a more moderate form of what Boris Johnson's proposing so that's ideology and Labour again feel, you know, pursues the same sort of thing they're interested in telling people what they're going to you know we, they're telling working class people what they're going to do rather than listen to what working class yeah. people want and uh, I think I'd have a different approach yeah, so uh, why did the Liberal Democrats believe that the UK doesn't need a second referendum on Brexit? Why do we believe it, it does? Or why? Uh, you, do, you don't, because obviously you can't in the press just saying completely scrap Brexit. Ah, well, you know. so that's, I think we do do support a second referendum. So what we said was that if, if we win the general election and Joe Swinson becomes Prime Minister, yeah. um, that we think if we were the majority party government, we would have a right to revoke Article 50. But what we said is if that doesn't happen, and if... You know, we get lots of Liberal Democrat MPs in, but there's, you know, there's a government formed from, you know, Labour or Conservatives or whatever. We would back a second referendum. So yes. we haven't actually dropped the second referendum pledge. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to be more honest that we think that Brexit is a bad term for the country. It's a bad idea and it's yes. going to lead to years yeah. and years, like 10 years or more of negotiation, discussion. Uh, you know, failed trade negotiations, all the rest of that yeah. stuff. Um, actually, Boris Johnson talked about getting Brexit done. If you really mm-hmm. want to never hear the word Brexit again, the best thing to do is to stop Brexit because if we leave the European Union mm-hmm. in January next year, that then kicks off trade negotiations. He thinks they'll take 11 months. They won't. They'll take at least three years. After the trade negotiations, we've then you know, we've got like a sort of settling in period. That takes another six or seven years. So we're looking like a full decade of the government still obsessing over Brexit, which is not what we want. So that's why we, we want to remain in the, in the EU. And yet if, you know, you know, if, if there were 320 Lindum MPs, then we'd be able to revoke yeah. 50. If there's less than that number, yeah. um, you know, 
uh, then uh, you know we would we would swing behind the second referendum and make sure that there is an option to remain on the ballot paper in a second referendum because everyone deserves a chance to yeah. check. You know, if if we if we, if um, if I left the pub and I jump in a taxi and I tell the taxi, "Hello, hate the pub, go drive." And the taxi man drives and he drives and he drives and I don't pay attention to where he's going. And yeah. He stops outside some waste ground, pulls up, says, "There you go." Am I going to get out of the taxi? Or am I going to go, maybe I want to go somewhere else? Or yeah. maybe I actually look and go, actually, turns out it was, a, it was the only decent pub. Let's go back, you know? Yeah. It, it, that's how, yeah. in our own lives, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't jump, you know, without, without checking. Mm-hmm. And yet, what the government wants everyone to do yeah. is, is to say, right, so everyone just jump into this pool. That not, let's not ask anyone else whether or not there's rocks underneath. Well, there's some pretty big rocks. Yeah, as well, uh, what are your main, what are the... Liberal Democrats' main reasons behind want thinking that it's in the UK's best interests to stay in the EU. Well, that's a great question too. There's lots of things. When we're part of the EU, we're we're we're, we're punching with kind of everyone's yeah everyone's weight. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I can use a Thanos analogy, you know, at the moment, you know, the UK is is a very very powerful, you know, soul gem. You know, we're yeah. we're we're a pretty awesome country. Let's be honest, yeah. we are an awesome country, but. When we're part of the EU, when we're in that Thanos glove of yes. of, of European <laughs> cooperation, yeah. we become more than the sum of our parts. Yeah. So just in the same way that Britain is made up of four countries stuck together, and that means that we're more mm. successful, so Europe made up 28 countries stuck yeah. together makes us all more mm. successful. It's better for our trade, so it means that um, you know, our factories, you know, we have some of the most advanced car factories in the world, mm-hmm. in, in the UK, uh, you know, they can send uh, parts to and from places in Europe back to Britain and back to Europe again yes. without there being any borders. Now, if we talk about what's going on here in Penrith and the border, yeah. you know, so uh, we want our farmers and there's, you know, there's businesses, mm-hmm. you know, we've got, mm-hmm. um, there's, uh, for example, in Shat, we've got uh, limestone yeah, plugged into the steelworks. There's all sorts of going to be worried, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Any the uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. The uncertainty and, and any... All, all of commerce in this country, all of retail, you know, every time we go to a shop, we're, we're buying, we're often buying imports. Um, all of that is dependent on um, just-in-time logistics, so that we, retailers, supermarkets particularly, need to be able to say, right, we want a pallet of this from that country to this country, we want it tomorrow. At the moment, we can do that, and all of our economic prosperity is based upon that. And we've also got, as well as the economic argument, we've got the cooperation argument yeah. as well. As I said, it's, yeah. it, we don't want in this world more division, more fighting, more yeah. arguments, yeah. ultimately, you know, more, more conflict. What we want is to be able to cooperate. Without cooperating with other European countries, we won't be able to tackle things like climate change. You know, we yeah. have a climate emergency, we've got less than 12 years, to try and make a, a, yeah, a difference yeah. to that. And Europe is able to stand up to the big polluters because it is the most advanced single market in the world. And we're a big part of that. If we leave, well, then we are more vulnerable to American and other, and, and other firms from other parts of the globe demanding that we drop our standards because we don't have the rest of Europe to cooperate yeah. with us. It's, it's a big distraction from the things that we all care about. And so are the Liberal Democrats the same party now as the one that went into coalition with the Conservatives? Because I, I know a lot, a bit of public backlash, especially in 2015. Yeah, there, 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 there was. And, uh, and we've got some things right in the coalition and we've got some things wrong in the coalition. I was... Um, 
you know, uh, I'm on the sort of the left side of the party, and so I was a I was a critic yeah, yeah. of of the Lib Dems Lib Dems in coalition. But from I still stayed in the party. Yeah. I was a, yeah. I was elected to the council in two thousand and fourteen, so yeah. I didn't leave That's the party thing over yeah. it. Um, but I, I, remember, I you know, we did get some things wrong, and we got some things right, and there were some things that were necessary, and there's some things that, that were mistakes. Um, but fundamentally, actually, it is a different party. Yes, I'm actually yeah, unusual now. Yeah. Most Liberal Democrats join the party after the EU referendum. Mm-hmm. And not only is that uh, most members now, more than yeah. 50% of members join after the EU referendum, yeah. actually it's, it's uh, councillors, so a lot of those guys who joined in the last three years are now councillors, so they're taking our party in a different direction. And yeah. even, excitingly, some of our MPs have yeah. actually joined in only, the last, in only the last few months. No. So it's a very, yeah. very, di- it's a very, very different party. Yeah, so like- like big political heavyweights like Chukra Moon. That's like, right, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chukra Moon, yeah. Luciana Berger, Sarah Wollaston, Sam Gamer, uh, uh, some really, uh, really big guys in their original parties have come across to us. And that, what, they've not just jumped by themselves, they're, they're, they're the, the, the top of a, a whole movement of people who've left the other two yeah. parties and who've come out of no politics at all to yes. join us. So we are a very, the, the, the original founding liberal values, which I would say is all about yeah. people, all about helping people to be, yeah. to do what they can do best and to live their best lives. They haven't changed, but the party structures have changed as we've had loads more exciting people come in. So what's your opinion on the recent YouGov poll that says that the Liberal Democrats are only on target for 13 seats? Do you think that's maybe a bit... Is there quite a large margin of error in them? Well, that that YouGov poll is... uh, It's a big poll, but it is two weeks out. Yeah. And there is a lot that can change in yeah. those two weeks. Um, Especially, you see, the London Bridge attacks, which happened exactly. the other day. Exactly, you and you can't, you can't predict those sort of things. That, and, and the fallout from that can go any number of different mm-hmm. ways. There's other things that can happen as well. And there's also, there's campaigning on the ground that can make yeah. a big difference. So with that YouGov poll, it shows 13 uh, seats. But actually, if you dig into the data, only just a few hundred votes because the first past the post system can be very yeah, finely balanced. Yeah, yeah. Only a few hundred votes would suddenly see the Lib Dems yeah. on 26 seats or more. Yeah. So, right there, that would be more than double what our current seats were, you know, um, uh, at the last election. And we can go further than that. You know, there's been a separate poll released since uh, which has dug down deep into five constituencies. Yeah. They found that Dominic Raab is in danger yeah, of losing his seat to the Lib Dems. Only 5%. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that uh, Chakramana is, is, you know, on course to become the first. Um, you know, Lib Dem uh, or, or non-conservative member for uh, Westminster since 1874. So actually, yeah. when you dig into it, um, there are things that we can make. And Lib Dems, we believe in evidence, we believe in science and data. And so, you know, we take stuff yeah. like that on board, we yeah. use it to do our job more effectively. And obviously, what we want here in the North West is to see uh, less conservative MPs and more yeah. Liberal Democrat MPs. Obviously, what I'm trying to do here, and we want to see Tim Farron back in Westminster Lonsdale, and we want to see some other gains from conservatives across the yeah, North so it's kind of, it seems when you see a lot of these conservatives, like, I mean, they're on 40% of the vote, but they're, from that poll, they're on target to win well more than 40% of the seats. Yeah, well, that's, that's the unfairness of yeah, the, so, the post, and yeah. when, when they brought out some of the constituency polling uh, polls, they've, like, um, come out saying that Liberal Democrats are only, like, a couple percent off the top Conservatives or the Labour Party or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Things, things, uh, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. When you dig down to each constituency, some of them can be very, very close indeed. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, the Dems 
you know, we're, we're a party that aren't growing every day. There's people been joining every day since the election all across the country. And, you know, there's members been absolutely <coughs> hammering with leaflets, door knocking. Yeah. We have, you know, we're really good at that. And so we're really good at, at making the most out of the people that, that, that are voting for us. And um, actually what we've seen since that Hugo polls that the Conservatives uh, yeah. are starting to, to, to slow down a bit. And we've got to remember it's not also, it's not just about the next election. Yeah. Politics isn't just about an election in two weeks' time. Politics is about the long-term process of how we govern the country and how we it's change it as well. It's a five-year term exactly, that they're getting yeah. elected for, not the three months until Exactly, and everything that Boris Johnson's talking about is policies for the next two months. Yeah. He's not giving any mm-hmm. sense of what he wants to do long-term. He's just got a lot of waffle, a lot of vague ideas. And so even if, and I don't think they will, but even if the Conservatives win a, win a majority, actually, um, that doesn't mean that the country approves or even half the country approves and it doesn't mean that things won't change long term either. You know, nothing is in this country. Um, you know, we're blessed with a vibrant democracy. Nothing is ever certain. Everything yeah. is always fluid mm-hmm. in this country, and that's getting more and more so. More and more people uh, now vote for who they want and not yeah. who their dad and granddad voted for. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on the more personal note, because I've um, I've interviewed uh, another candidate from another party before, and I've asked you some of the questions, so I'm going to ask you the questions, because yeah, it seems fair. So, on the more personal note, what would you say your best traits are as a person? Um, I think I'm pretty funny sometimes, which is good. <laughs> um, I, I, I like chatting to people. Um, I hope I'm a good listener. Um, yeah. I like chatting to people. Uh, I don't mind uh, standing up for what I believe in and, and, yeah. and, and, and talking out loud. Um, and uh, I, can, I can write pretty fast, uh, yeah. which is helpful when you're trying to get leaflets done. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if you were an animal... What animal would you be? Uh, that's a very good question. My, uh, my, my, I was born in the year of the tiger, but it's probably a little bit, a little bit exaggerated. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know, uh, a jaguar or a panther maybe, maybe a wolf. Uh, all those kind of cool animals. Yeah, <laughs> I've always liked. I've always my favorite. My favorite bird is the European eagle owl. So yeah. if I want to pick something unusual, I'd say I'd say the eagle yeah. owl. Yeah, so um, what are your like hobbies and pastimes? Um, so I'm I'm a big sci-fi guy. So yeah, um, I can tell from the panels. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I love I do love digging into the science fiction stash on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Um, I've I've got a three-year-old now. Uh, yeah. So uh, my my, you know, my daughter's only three, and so actually for the last three years, um, you kind of like your hobbies tend to be like what yeah. they're into. So you know, like she's into pirates. So mm-hmm. you know, we're doing a lot of pirate stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when when I've um I've read like when your leaflet's been coming round, I've read that you uh, own a bookshop. I I don't own a bookshop. No, I I manage. Uh, so you manage. I, I manage an independent Christian bookshop in in Kendall. I don't yeah. I don't own it. I'm 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 just I'm I'm the. The, the manager there it's owned yeah. by a charity but yeah oh, yeah, yeah. so I, I left I was an insurance broker mm-hmm. uh, which is a really important job yeah but, um, yeah, but isn't always that interesting but it is actually really important but I I, I, I come to I just felt like I'd done everything I needed to, to, to do in that and I had an opportunity to do something a little bit different and I, yeah. I, I was a, a big lover of, of books and reading and, and kind of like the, the small town vibe of cooperating yeah. and working in in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sort of you know high street commerce environment it was a big attraction so yeah about two and a half years ago I made a little career change yeah now I'm a bookshop guy which is, <laughs> which is awesome so uh, now I have some questions from uh, some of my fellow A-level politics oh, students who are very exciting 
excited to hear that I was meeting you and they were like, oh, can you ask him that? Right, yeah. and everything. So, yeah, so this first one's from Lydia Richardson. She says, what would you do to fund more support for young people's mental health and how would you end the stigma surrounding this issue? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you, Lydia. Um, so it just so happens that actually the Lid Dev, I mean, I should start, start again, really. The way that mental health is treated at the moment is wrong. Yeah. And the way, the attitudes that a lot of people still have about mental health mm-hmm. are, are wrong. We're, there are still too many people who feel cut off and alone. They feel that they can't talk to anyone. There's, 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 there's too many people who feel um, that they're being forced to be or behave in a way that isn't them as well, yeah. which I think is another big cause mm-hmm. of mental health. It's, you know, a lot of it time, it, you know, parents and family maybe not yeah. accepting who people are, that yeah. can build mental health. People feel they have to behave or think in a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that, 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 that affects it. And also, um, they, the, the sort of, the funding side of things yeah. isn't in place. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say that if you broke your arm, You'd want that arm to be fixed, you know, like that day. It, you yeah. wouldn't be told, well, if you just wait six weeks and then an orthopedic surgeon yeah. become available, can you walk around with a broken arm for six weeks? You're not going to want to do that. No, and no, yet, no. people yeah. in mental health crisis are, are heartbreakingly, and worst of all, you know, yeah. young people and kids no. in mental health mm-hmm. crisis are being told to wait weeks, mm-hmm. months mm-hmm. for specialists. It's not good enough. And actually, the Dems have identified that as been a, a major thing. So what we want to do is, uh, is take uh, income tax and put a penny... On, on income tax, which raises yeah. over five mm-hmm. years, thirty-five billion pounds. Now, of that, we think eleven billion pounds mm-hmm. uh, should be ring fenced. Uh, that is to say, it should be uh, kept just for mental health. Mm-hmm. And we want to do a lot of different things with that. With that eleven billion over five years, we think we yeah. could make sure that every child, you know, gets you know very quick access to mental yeah. health professionals. Yeah. That's yeah. really important, yeah. and, and for young people as well. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that um, actually medication for for mental health care is actually made free on prescription yeah. which um you know uh, once you you reach a certain age you certainly have to start paying uh, well we want to make sure you know this, this is medication that's keeping people alive yes. in some cases yeah. yes. you know it's yeah. allowing people to function in society we think that we will make that, that that prescription free charge we also expand the range of talking therapies and in places like like cumbria where mental yeah. health provision um, it can be a real struggle because it's hard to get the professionals to come and work here. Um, it, it, it's hard to try and cover the huge area we're trying to cover, all the different sorts of people live in. The huge area, the, the geography of it is a real challenge. Yeah. The funding doesn't one, reflect that. It's one of the biggest constituencies yeah, in the UK. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and Cumbria as well, of course. It's bigger even than people from the border. And Cumbria is huge. And you're trying, trying to cover the mental health across... Um, yeah, across the county is a real challenge. So what we want to we want to do is to introduce a, kind of a rural patient premium. So on top yeah. of uh, mental health funding, uh-huh. which we boost, we'd also then to be an additional boost because we're yeah. delivering services yes. to people in yeah. rural areas. That we'd use that to try and attract because these people in rural areas sometimes won't be able to make it to their nearest yeah, doctors, their nearest definitely. hospital. Yeah, that's why. So if you bring the bring services closer to them, which you can yeah. do with a lot of yeah. mental health services, you you can you 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 can you know, take the professional maybe out of the the hospital units and get them to the doctor's surgeries the libraries whatever so people can access those talking therapies so people can have their prescriptions you know their condition diagnosed prescriptions done for them you know make it easier to to reach people is absolutely key and we take it really really seriously so this the next one's from our political analysis 
analyst, Jacob Reed, who's asking which parties party are the Lib Dems closer to, the Tories or Labour? Ah, that's a very good question. And uh, at the moment, we are closer to neither of them. Um, <laughs> I, when he asked me to ask you that question, I knew you were going to answer that. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> that's what I, right. I mean, I mean, there was, there was, there was a point under... Um, I don't know if you know Paddy Ashdown, uh, yeah, who was yeah, leader yeah. in the 90s, or Charles Kennedy, who was the heroic leader yeah, in the 2000s yeah. of the Iraq War. Um, so under Paddy Ashdown, the party actually was closer to Labour. Yeah. Uh, but we should remember that the Labour Party at that time was being led by people who were decent, yeah. who were honest, and who weren't anti-Semitic. <laughs> and the Labour Party right now is being led by a cabal of people around Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. He has people who are communists, and yeah. communists are not fans of democracy. So we're not, we're not cool with that. Uh, it's also being led, and this is quite serious, it's been led by people who have very prejudicial attitudes yes. towards yeah. our Jewish yeah. citizens. And so Liberal, we're not interested in cozying up to Labour when Labour are being run by people who have a problem with institutional anti-Semitism. And likewise, you know, also, we're not interested in, in allying ourselves with the Conservatives. The Conservative Party have uh, become a narrow Brexit-based sect. They're only interested yeah. in their Brexit ideology and, and they're, they're projecting a sort of backward-looking right-wing version of the past that they want to make Britain's future. Yeah. And we're not interested in that either. So we are, we are close to neither of the parties. Yes, we have worked with both parties in the past, but right now yes. we, we're offering a, a liberal, pro-European vision for the because, future. Because um, Joe Swinton has come out and said that we're not going to prop up a Boris Johnson or a Jeremy Corbyn government. Exactly, yeah. yeah. She doesn't want to see either Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn Prime Minister. And would, I think would, would that have been different if there are other leaders of the two main parties? I think, I think that's a really interesting question and we'll have to see how, how that pans out. I mean, before the election, Joe Simpson was one of those principal voices who calling for a government of national unity almost, where, we, where a sort of a figure that could be trusted to be impartial, like the yeah. Conservatives Ken Clark or Labour's Harriet Harman. Yeah. Joe was proposing both of those as potential prime ministers yes. or even co-prime yeah. ministers to try and find a, a way out of it. So we're not about ideology, we are about trying to, trying to find a way yeah. through. But part of that is to say that we find the politics of today uh, with, its, uh, with its division and its lamentable aggression and problems with Islamophobia and anti-Semitism coming to the fore, we charge Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson as culpable with making the environment that we're now dealing yeah. with. And so we don't want either of them to be in Downing Street and you know, we hope to replace them with someone else. So this final question is from Matthew Dean and he says, why will staying in the UK, in the EU benefit young people? Well, um, it will benefit you in, in one very clear way. The passport that you currently have, that is your right, born as European citizens, as, yeah. as you are, as everyone is born after like 1993, um, you would ena enables you to travel across yes. Europe, to study across Europe, mm -hmm. and to work and to live across yeah. Europe. And that is a right you have right now. It's a right that I have as well. Yeah. Uh, under Brexit, that is a right you would lose. And so that is a massive, that is a massive deal. Especially when you guys yeah. didn't get a say in the EU referendum. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, you know, the other parties don't really have a say anymore either. Although we do. But that, that, that is the, I think that's the most direct thing. You would lose that right. So that if you guys want to go to university and you want to study abroad for a year, 
under the EU system, that's really yes. easy. Yeah. That becomes a lot more difficult if we leave the EU. There's visas involved, there's application, uh, get more, more complicated. And likewise, when you guys are looking for work, you might want to travel abroad, get some experience in different mm-hmm. countries, working in, in other countries, or just living in different countries, yes. not yeah. actually yeah. working, yeah. but just living and enjoying the culture, learning a language, you know, meeting different people. All of that right now in the EU, you can leave tomorrow, get on a yeah. plane, get on a ferry, there you are, it's fine. No one's going to bother you, no one's going to stop you, you can enjoy everything Europe has to offer and Europeans can come here and benefit our country by doing the same and if we leave the EU all of that becomes so much harder you need you'll end up needing visas you may you may need to pay visa fees you might get stopped actually internally uh, within the within the borders of different EU countries and say no you can't live here until you've got a job here and and, and all of that at the moment we're able to travel as much as we want and the other thing as well is that when, when we leave the EU, we're leaving the most complex single market yeah. uh, that has yeah. ever existed. When we leave that, there's an economic cost to that. So yeah. the country will be poorer. They will, the companies will spend more on regulation and bureaucracy. Uh, waiting times for products go up, which increases the cost, which cuts the profits. and That means that they, they pay less tax. So the government has less money, yeah. and so that government then has less money to spend on stuff, including on services for so, young people. So would you say just just whole Brexit is the whole Brexit uh, scenario is really going to be affecting the young people the most, given that the fact that we've got the most life to live. Yeah, well, it's it absolutely. I mean, it 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 is about the future direction of the country, and it feels wrong to me. That I mean, uh, you know, my daughter was born uh, just a few weeks before the EU referendum, and yeah. so it is kind of personal for me because she was born with all the rights that I've talked about: those rights yeah. to study, to live, uh, to, to work um, across Europe, and without her even being yeah. aware of them, they're being they're being taken away. So it is your future. So, so like else when 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 she gets to like my age, she won't have them rights. Yeah, maybe. but potentially, yeah. and that's not so how, that's, is, that, how um, is that fair? She was born before the EU referendum. Yeah. Uh, how is it fair that when she turns 18 you know she doesn't have the rights that that you know that, that you currently have that yeah, hopefully yeah, you keep or, yeah. that, or that i i had it's not it's not fair it's not right it's presenting a future to you know the next generation uh that is more kind of like brit all that kind of britain standing alone stuff you know that, yeah. that backward looking nationalistic culture that says that we don't need europe that yeah. we can just do things mm-hmm. by ourselves that is not uh, a great prospect for the future not yes. when we can deal with yeah. climate change when we're trying to create less conflict and more cooperation in the world you know it, the best form of economic growth that you can get is the sort of growth that comes from people working together that's also a great sort of societal good and you know, all of that is threatened by, by, by Brexit mm-hmm. and that makes life harder for the next generation yeah. and the generations yet to come so thank you very much to those uh, uh, to uh, my uh, A-level politics colleagues for their questions and thank you very much for coming down here and coming on the show uh, it's, it's right. an absolute pleasure alright so it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so and, much and um, we don't let our guests go <laughs> away empty handed here you go here's your keeping it current badge oh, fantastic thank you very much uh, so I'm, thank I'm you thank you very much to this week's special guest Matt Seven now it's time for a summary of this week's show it's been a great show hasn't it Jacob Absolutely spin. Uh, so uh, next week we'll be 
uh, during, well not next week, in two weeks' time, we will be doing our election review show, which will be the final episode of this election mini-series, which I'm really looking forward to. But, well, it depends what the result is. <laughs> so, uh, sadly, that's the end of the show. Thank you very much to this week's special guest, uh, Matt Seven, uh, for an absolutely fantastic interview. And thank you very much, as always, to Jacob Reid. Thank you, Thomas. So, as I said, uh, you can join us in two weeks' time for an election review episode, which I'm sure is going to be very exciting, and make sure you tune in. And uh, so, uh, make sure to join us next time, where we won't be keeping it cool, but, but we, we will, will be, be keeping, keeping it current. current. Goodbye.